Taiwan's daily COVID count has exceeded 30,000 for the first time. At a Thursday press conference, the CECC reported 30,035 local infections. It also announced an upcoming change to how COVID cases are diagnosed. Starting May 12, a PCR test will no longer be required to confirm a positive COVID case. Instead, a positive rapid test will be enough to confirm a case that's undergoing home isolation, home quarantine, or a self-initiated epidemic prevention period. Let's hear from the CECC. 我们修订了这个确诊的定义，主要是这三类的人基本上，他染疫的风险相对就是。We are revising the case definition for COVID-19 mainly because people in these three categories are at higher risk of infection. If an at-home rapid antigen test is positive and a doctor's assessment of symptoms affirms that it is a COVID case, then there is little doubt that we have a diagnosis. This policy will keep people from coming out of home isolation or quarantine to get a PCR test in order to confirm the rapid test. The transport arrangements for such cases have been a considerable burden on the overall network. Now Taipei has launched school COVID vaccination for children aged 6 to 12. On the first day of the rollout, vaccine willingness was lower than expected. One school reported that 67% of children refused the shot. Some parents say they're waiting for Pfizer to become available locally. Sleeve rolled up, he's ready to get his vaccine. On Thursday, Taipei launched Moderna vaccination for children aged 6 to 12. The first school to administer the shots was Xin Yi Elementary School. 23 of its students aged 12 and up received a full first dose, while another two students received a full second dose. But overall, vaccine willingness was low. Out of the school's 800 students, only 179 got vaccinated on Thursday, fewer than initially anticipated. The rate of campus vaccination was only 22%, so it was on the low end. According to surveys that came back for 50 schools, vaccine willingness should be about 29%. So we launched the campus vaccination program. About 4% of students say they'll be getting vaccinated at a hospital. On day one of child vaccination, Taipei Deputy Mayor Taiping Kun made a stop on campus for an inspection tour. He said that vaccine willingness was relatively low. According to a survey conducted by the city, more than 30,000 students in 50 schools are eligible for vaccinations, but only around 9,000 students, or less than 30%, have consented to campus inoculation. That's about 70% of students who do not want to get vaccinated at school. To boost vaccine coverage, the city will launch vaccination clinics for children at hospitals starting May 9th. Observers say the low interest in Moderna could be because Pfizer vaccines for children are expected to soon reach Taiwan. The details on Pfizer's child vaccines are not very clear yet. We'll wait for confirmation from the central government on when they'll be delivered and when they can be administered before we make any arrangements. Now that there is a diversity of vaccines available, parents are in a wait-and-see mode. Although the COVID vaccine is new, my child didn't have adverse reactions to other vaccines he received previously, so I'm letting him take this one. Some parents say it's best to get their children protected against COVID with vaccines. Schools will switch to remote learning for three to five days after vaccine administration so that students can rest at home. Parents say they hope the vaccines will let their children continue their education with fewer pandemic disruptions. Pharmacies will soon be able to dispense oral COVID medication to some mild symptoms patients in home isolation. 
The CECC says antiviral drugs have been sent to 57 pharmacies that will supply more than 1,900 pharmacies nationwide. Currently, oral COVID medication is available only to patients in hospital settings. According to the CECC, there are now more than 80,000 mild or asymptomatic COVID patients undergoing home isolation. To be eligible for oral COVID medication, a mild COVID patient must be at least 65 years old, a smoker, a cancer patient, or a patient with a chronic disease. These individuals will be able to get a prescription for Pfizer or Merck's COVID treatments through a telemedicine consult. A prescription can be picked up at a pharmacy by family or friends, or it can be delivered straight to the patient's home. More than two months after Russia's invasion, Taiwan is continuing to help Ukrainians in need. Last month, a school in Kaohsiung sent a care package to Ukraine containing almost 4,000 kilograms of supplies. The parcel has now arrived at its destination, covered with stickers of the flags of Ukraine and Taiwan. Emblazoned with the flags of Taiwan and Ukraine, this parcel full of supplies has arrived in Ukraine. It's a donation sent from Taiwan. <laughs> all in all, there are almost 4,000 kilograms of relief supplies for Ukrainians in need. The things have reached Ukraine. Today I saw that the supplies had arrived, so I'm very happy. They need a lot of help. Life has changed drastically for Ukrainians since the start of Russia's invasion. Over in Kaohsiung, the head of Yancheng Elementary School's parent-teacher association, whose wife is Ukrainian, decided to launch a donation drive for daily necessities and supplies. After one month in transit, the school's donation finally reached Bilat Tserkva National Agrarian University. They were extremely moved. After all, Taiwan is very far away. Taiwan also seems like a very tiny country in comparison with Ukraine. Everyone is very appreciative of Taiwan's help. They think Taiwan is very kind. The supplies donated by the school will be distributed to Ukrainians in need. Earlier in the year, Taiwanese writers also showed their support for Ukraine. Their poetry reading was noticed from afar. When I posted about our event on Facebook, Ukrainian writers were extremely happy. One of them posted a big heart in response. Then other Ukrainian authors started adding me on Facebook, thanking me and saying that Taiwanese authors were extremely brave. With no end in sight to the Russia-Ukraine war, Taiwanese are using a variety of ways to show support for Ukraine. As reports continue to service of appalling atrocity in Ukraine, the Rotary Club in Kaohsiung has offered to sponsor up to 100 Ukrainian orphans. Local Rotanians say they are willing to pay all the living expenses of Ukrainian orphans until they graduate from college. Since the Russian invasion, countless Ukrainian homes have been destroyed. Scenes of devastation litter the landscape. Millions of refugees have fled their homes, and the loss of life is appalling. This handwritten note was written by a nine-year-old girl. She and her family fled their home to find safety, but horrifically, the child's mother was shot by Russian soldiers in front of her eyes. The child is now in a refugee shelter near Kyiv, and her letter has been published online. It contains memories of her mother. 
The heartbreaking note compelled members of the Rotary Club in Kaohsiung to take action, offering to, quote, adopt 100 Ukrainian orphans. Rotarian Dr. Duan Zhixian is leading the project, personally sponsoring the letter's author. He will pay all her living expenses until she graduates from university. I stood up first and said I was willing to sponsor the girl who had written this farewell letter to her mother, the nine-year-old girl. The Rotary Club of Kaohsiung West, to which I belong, proposed a motion to bring Ukrainian orphans under the age of 12 to Taiwan to be raised and educated here. The movement includes lawmakers and city councillors who are urging more members of the public to join their ranks. The adoption process is quite complex in Taiwan and touches on laws such as the immigration law. It's not that we will legally adopt them tomorrow or that we can do that. But we in the Rotary Club can pay for children who want to come and study in Taiwan, who want to come to Taiwan to be taken care of. We can cover their school fees, their living expenses. Of course, it's a wonderful thing that the Rotary Club is willing to take that on. It seems that currently there is no legal mechanism for orphans to be brought to Taiwan. For now, the sponsorship will consist of financial support from afar. But even so, Rotarians hope their good wishes will give Ukrainians hope and strength to carry on through their darkest hours. China's Liaoning aircraft carrier is conducting training exercises in the Western Pacific, attracting the attention of the nearby countries. Japan has dispatched its JS Izumo helicopter carrier to monitor the Chinese operation. The U.S. military is also conducting exercises in the vicinity while keeping a close eye on the PLA Navy. Shenyang J-15 jets and Chang'e 18 helicopters hold takeoff and landing drills on China's Liaoning aircraft carrier, which recently headed past the first island chain to conduct drills in the Western Pacific. Japan's defense ministry is closely monitoring the Chinese operation. The exercises are occurring to the southwest of Japan's Okinawa prefecture. In response to the drills, Japan dispatched its JS Izumo helicopter carrier to the area. Also operating in the vicinity is the USS Abraham Lincoln in the Philippine Sea. In addition, the USS Ronald Reagan carrier will be at Iwo Jima starting Friday for drills involving five aircraft types, including Super Hornet fighter jets. And with that, the U.S., Japan and China are converging in the Western Pacific. From the time the Liaoning entered service to its latest deployment, this is its 70th time out at sea. It's the 10th time it's been on a long-distance mission beyond the East China Sea and South China Sea. We have a full grasp of its movements. Given the Liaoning's current capabilities, we know that it has no problems operating in the South China Sea, past the first island chain, or even at the second island chain. But will it ever have the ability to project power in distant waters in the way of the U.S. Navy? I think that's the bigger challenge for them. I think that these kinds of exercises will continue. We may see it gradually conduct these drills at greater distances and on a larger scale. A military analyst says that Liaoning's latest drill is a warm-up for the launch of China's third aircraft carrier, which is reportedly to take place this year. Over in the U.S., members of Congress have voiced concern over the number of warships China and the U.S. each have. U.S. officials have said on several occasions that China could have the ability to invade Taiwan in the year 2027. President Xi has set an objective to have his military prepared capability-wise that's not the same to say he's actually going to invade, 
uh, to seize the island of Taiwan. That is a very tall order, and it remains to be seen whether the Chinese will actually be able to execute that, the Chinese military, whether they will have that capability or not. But that is the target on the wall, 2027. We have to keep that in mind as we go into the future. U.S. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley said China lacked international allies, whereas the U.S., Japan and Australia regularly hold joint exercises. He said such partnerships were key to maintaining peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific and to deterring China from acting rashly. A visiting Japanese lawmaker has tested positive for COVID, according to Taiwan officials. This lawmaker is part of an 11-member delegation from the Liberal Democratic Party's Youth Division. He and his close contacts have cancelled their activities in Taiwan, while the rest of the group is continuing on with their itinerary. Today, three remaining lawmakers were hosted at a reception at the presidential office. The president and her guests give each other a touch-free greeting. On Thursday, President Tsai Ing-wen received a delegation from the Youth Division of Japan's ruling party, which is in Taiwan for the first time in three years. Led by lawmaker Ogura Masanobu, the delegation consists of 11 people. But on Thursday, only three of its members attended the reception. It was because one lawmaker had tested positive for COVID. I was just informed that there is a confirmed case in the delegation. Therefore, the delegation members who traveled in the same car were unable to attend today. President Tsai said that even in a pandemic, Taiwan and Japan were supporting each other and deepening their friendship. She thanked Japanese politicians for supporting Taiwan's participation in regional trade pacts and international organizations. She also thanked them for monitoring developments in the Taiwan Strait. Last September, Taiwan filed an application to join the CPTPP. In the future, we will continue to make improvements in our regulations and market mechanisms as we do our best to join the CPTPP. I'd also like to ask all you parliamentarians to continue to support Taiwan's international participation. Youth Division member Suzuki Norikazu said that the Japan-Taiwan relationship was that between close neighbors. He said Japan would not tolerate the use of force to disrupt regional peace. For a delegation to be able to visit Taiwan and exchange views here, that is very meaningful. I would also like to use this occasion to stress that Japan will never allow certain countries to use force to unilaterally change the status quo. With regard to this issue, I believe that the two nations of Japan and Taiwan can strengthen their cooperation. The youth division of the Liberal Democratic Party is made up of Japan lawmakers up to 45 years old. Currently, nearly all of its members are second-generation politicians with elite educations. The youth division is known as the Cradle of Prime Ministers, having given rise to current PM Kishida Fumio and former PMs Abe Shinzo and Asotaro. The division is also an important channel for Taiwan-Japan exchanges within the Liberal Democratic Party. The youth division is led by Ogura, a strong supporter of Taiwan. At the age of 40, he's in his fourth consecutive term in Japan's lower house. He is now in Taiwan for the seventh time. Another member of the division is Yamaguchi Suzumu, who is also a member of Japan's lower house. He previously served as secretary of former Japan Prime Minister Suga Yoshihide, and he is married to a Taiwanese national. The rising stars of Japanese politics have 
have a history of friendly exchanges with Taiwan. Their latest visit further strengthens the Taiwan-Japan relationship. Now moving on to the markets. U.S. stocks soared on Wednesday after the Federal Reserve announced an expected half-point interest rate hike. Taiwan stocks followed Wall Street on Thursday, rallying 130 points to close at 16,696. Inflation is much too high, and we understand the hardship it is causing, and we're moving expeditiously to bring it back down. We have both the tools we need and the resolve that it will take to restore price stability on behalf of American families and businesses. The U.S. is expected to continue to raise interest rates. It's just a question of whether the increase is 0.5% or 0.75%. And it's a question of how fast that happens. Going forward, the market will be subject to bearish sentiment over rate hikes. Speaking on Wednesday, Fed Chair Jerome Powell calmed investors by saying that he wasn't yet considering increases beyond 50 basis points. He also said the Fed will sell off 47.5 billion U.S. dollars worth of its securities every month, starting in June. Taiwan experts say that so far the Fed is taking only modest measures to tame inflation. But in the months to come, the market will continue to be highly affected by the Fed, so traders should exercise caution. A family gravesite in Xinzhu that dates from 1844 could be under threat as the local science park expands. The Zheng family is fighting to have a corner of the gravesite preserved, but the Xinzhu Science Park seems reluctant to take responsibility for expansion plans that could see the graves destroyed. This is the Zheng family gravesite in Xinzhu's Baoshan Township. The land could be requisitioned for a planned expansion of the Xinzhu Science Park. Members of the Zheng family say the gravesite has profound cultural significance. They want part of the site protected, but are struggling to get official authorities on board. We sent our petition to the Science Park. They said that TSMC needs the land. TSMC said, no, the whole plan and design is the responsibility of the Science Park, nothing to do with TSMC. So they keep passing the buck. We really don't know who to send our request to. If we don't preserve the remains of our ancestors, then what will we preserve? People talk about technological development. If you don't have it offset by humanities and culture, I think technology becomes a kind of lie. The Zheng family has been a prominent local clan in Xinzhu for centuries. Many famous figures were members of the clan. The family gravesite has sat here since 1844. It's about 12 hectares. We are just asking to preserve a few hundred ping. This site is actually intimately connected to the development of the whole of Xinzhu. We don't want all the history and culture here to be destroyed when the science part takes over. I think the committee members have taken the request in. We will enter into an inquiry meeting and we will invite descendants of the Zheng family to present their perspectives. The Zheng family has asked for cultural heritage status for the land. They are hoping the local government will see the irreplaceable inherent value of the site alongside its economic potential. We're creeping into early summer, and that means Dragon Boat Festival is just around the corner. The big gourmet tradition at this time of the year is the zongzi, or sticky rice dumplings. Restaurants, hotels and retailers are all vying to produce the most sumptuous dumplings in the summer. Wrapped in bamboo leaves, they make a portable but filling lunch or dinner and with so many flavors to choose from. 
there's something for everyone. General Tso's chicken is a classic sweet and spicy dish from Hunan. Now it's available in one of Taiwan's favorite cafe chains. The cafe has paired up with a prestigious Hunan restaurant to sell Hunanese rice dumplings. Hunan cuisine revolves around spice and fragrant spice. Now the rice dumplings we've developed this year are General Tso's chicken and cauliflower flavors. Inspired by local country fare. Generally, cafes sell light bites and things like that. I wouldn't expect a cafe to start selling festive things like that for festivals or New Year, so it's quite a surprise. We open up a piping hot dumpling to find the spicy chicken inside. Another flavor pairs crispy cauliflower and cured ham, a very unusual find. Due to the spread of COVID-19, bookings for Mother's Day are below expectations. That spurred the restaurant to find new ways to reach out to customers, like these special rice dumplings and other marketing strategies. With this launch, we expect to be able to increase our rice dumpling sales by at least 40%. With this collaboration, we want to attract people looking for something new to try. And coming in for a rice dumpling brings customers in the door. We hope our chain cafe brand can see overall new customer growth of 20%. There's still a month to go until Dragon Boat Festival, but retailers are already wheeling out their seasonal dumplings. Pong's Gourmet and Akari are not the only ones. Thai Town has launched a Thai prawn-flavored dumpling and a coconut durian dumpling for a Southeast Asian Dragon Boat Festival. Carrefour offers an Eastern dumpling with peeled chili and mahi-mahi. 7-Eleven is working with a premium hotel and restaurant to launch a Taiwanese cuisine dumpling and a scallop flavor, while Family Mart has a hotel backing up its range of roast duck and exo sauce fillings. If you're a big fan of the early summer zongzi, now's the time to jump.